Well, folks, with camps tonight and next week as well, I made an executive decision to hold off on Genesis so we wouldn't leave part of our crowd behind. Um, So find 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and Lord willing, in two weeks, we will return to our Genesis study. But I just hate to run off and leave some of our folks behind who are regularly in here on Wednesday nights. 2 Corinthians 4, this ministry we have. And let's read the whole entire chapter. Can we do that? 2 Corinthians 4. And uh, I want you to write down a few words, and uh, we, will, we will highlight them uh, later. But go ahead and write down uh, perseverance, integrity, focus, and I'll go over these again. Humility and perspective. Perseverance, integrity, focus, humility, and perspective. Now pick up reading with me at verse 1. Paul says, Therefore, Having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled... It is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, Persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake 
so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. After three months at college, a young lady wrote the following note to her mom and dad. Her letter said, Dear Mom and Dad, please forgive me for not writing sooner, but all of my writing paper was destroyed when the dormitory was burned down by the demonstrators. I'm out of the hospital now. The doctors say my eyesight should be back to normal in about six months. The kind young man who rescued me from the fire offered to share his apartment with me until the dormitory is rebuilt. We're married now and hope to see you soon. I want you to meet him. Love, Judy. And then she added this postscript at the bottom of the letter. Dear Mom and Dad, please disregard the above practice in English composition. The dormitory did not burn down. I've not been in the hospital. My eyes are fine. I'm not married. In fact, I don't even have a boyfriend. But I did get a D in French and an F in algebra. And I just wanted you to see how much worse it could have been. <laughs> she wanted her mom and dad to have a, a new perspective, right? A different perspective. And you know, that's really what Paul wants here, right? He wants the Corinthians to have the right perspective. You know, that's a problem we sometimes have as believers, isn't it? We have the wrong perspective. We have the wrong focus. And because of that, we live for the wrong things. We have the wrong goals in life. Somebody once said, beware of climbing the ladder only to learn that at the end of life your ladder has been leaned against the wrong wall. Paul wants the Corinthians to say that they need to have the right perspective because their new life in Christ changes everything. Or it should change everything. Everything about life. Everything that we are, everything we think about, everything we put a priority to in life, new life in Christ should alter all of that. We should live now according to God's perspective. You know, folks, the world hasn't changed, but we have. And so we're to live as salt and light. We're ambassadors for Christ now in this world. And so we're to turn away from the old and turn to the new because we've been made new in Christ. And so we have a new purpose. 
That's what Paul's writing to them about here in chapter 4. In fact, in all of 2 Corinthians, he's writing about ministries. One of the greatest books in the New Testament talking about ministry. First of all, uh, taking notes tonight, which I hope you'll do, I, I want you to just underscore that word, perseverance. Paul says, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. We have a ministry. There's no question about it. As a believer, you have a ministry. Folks, it's not just those on church staffs or those on the mission field who have a ministry. Every believer in the body of Christ has a ministry. Amen? To be saved means that you have a ministry. And so whatever other occupation you might have in life, whatever hobbies you have in life, whatever you do in your life, you need to remember first and foremost as a believer in Christ, you have a ministry. And God has gifted you for that. Paul says, as those who have received mercy, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. God saved us. He's chosen us. We're to persevere. Why? Because of mercy. You are a recipient of mercy who's been given a ministry. And so you are to persevere. I think of Paul, what he says about himself in chapter 1. Chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Listen to what he says there. He says, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And then look over at chapter 11, what he says there about himself. He says, In far more labors and far more imprisonments, beaten times without number... Often in danger of death, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers in the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. All, uh, apart from such external things, there's the daily pressure upon me of concern for all of the churches. Folks, imagine the the burdens that the Apostle Paul lived with. The opposition, the persecution he, he dealt with constantly. How many would have given up? Probably most, right? 
People can criticize us a little bit and what? We're ready to quit, right? But Paul talks about all these things that he went through. And yet he kept at it. Why? Because God had been merciful toward him. And saved him on the road to Damascus. God had mercifully reached down, saved him, drew him to Christ, changed his life, and made him an apostle to the Gentiles. And so he was to persevere in that. And he was reminding them that their calling might be different than his. As your calling is. And my calling is. But yet we are to persevere. Because we have received mercy from God. God saved us by his grace. God didn't have to. If he had to, it wouldn't be grace, right? But he saved us by his grace. He rescued you from the path of hell. Saved you, wrote your name in heaven's book of life. Gave you a ministry, put you into his body. Are you going to be opposed in the world? Absolutely. But because you've received mercy, you and I are to persevere. We've been given a ministry, we're to persevere. You may or may not have a book on leadership by Dr. Al Mohler. Do you know who Al Mohler is? Everybody know who Al Mohler is? President of Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Our flagship seminary among Southern Baptists. Al Mohler along with probably D.A. Carson. Al Mohler and D.A. Carson may be... The probably the intellectual giants in conservative evangelical Christianity today. Um, they're, they're two pivotal leaders. Al Mohler was called as president of, of Southern Seminary while he was just in his 30s. And most Southern Baptists don't realize what was going on in our colleges and seminaries back then. Uh, right around the time of the beginnings of the conservative resurgence. I, I mentioned that a little bit a couple of months ago on Wednesday night. Uh, guys were graduating from seminaries and saying they were taught that uh, there was no heaven, there was no hell, the Bible wasn't the word of God, uh, there was no devil. Uh, I've actually talked to some men in, in my life who were taught at these seminaries that instructed that. Uh, no second coming of Jesus. This is some of the nonsense that they were taught. We can be grateful for the conservative resurgence in the Southern Baptist Convention. And now all of our schools are solid and teach the Word of God. Well, Al Mohler went there uh, as new president and he was given the charge to turn that school around and to turn it back to sound biblical doctrine. And in his book on leadership, he talks about the, uh, the opposition that he faced. Uh, there were protests 
on the seminary campus. There were marches and protests. There were uh, coffins being carried. And one student spitting, spit on him as he walked into a press conference on one occasion. Uh, he said he and his wife, Mary, would go out to eat at restaurants in Louisville, Kentucky. And, and they would be heckled by strangers reporters were relentless in hounding them. He said the hardest part was how their children age three and age six would be attacked and heckled by adults. Ridiculous. Just crazy stuff. But he hung in there and he persevered. That whole seminary was turned around. Now it's our largest seminary. And Al Mohler is one of the most respected men in Christianity in the world today. He had a ministry given to him. He did not lose heart. He persevered. It was hard at times, but he persevered. Paul is saying that will be the situation with all followers of Jesus Christ. We live right side up in an upside down world. And because of that, we will face opposition in the body of Christ. We will be in the minority. Do we give up? No. We press on. The Christian has to persevere. Second word, integrity. Look at verse 2. He says, but we have renounced disgraceful underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. We are never to compromise the Word of God and we are never to compromise our own integrity. Hidden things, shameful things must be repented of. A servant of Christ is to have a clean life. There should be nothing of shame. There should be nothing that would cause embarrassment. Nothing at all about your life or my life that would be an embarrassment to the body of Christ. Paul also says that we're not to walk in craftiness. Now, while there can be a dark, sinister tone to that word, it can also refer to to motives that are less than pure. Somebody might uh, serve for popularity. The Corinthians were all into that. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Serving for popularity. We must not do that. That's a form of craftiness. Or serving only to make money. Paul talks about those who would peddle the word of God. Well he says there's nothing like that about his life and ministry. There's nothing shameful, there's nothing crafty, there's no no deceit in his life. In other words, what you saw is what you got. He was a man of integrity. 
Folks in the church, you and I today, must be men and women of integrity. I think of Daniel. Remember Daniel in Daniel chapter 6? They put his life under a microscope and they were trying to... They were trying to look at every angle, something that they could find in Daniel's life that they could make an accusation against him. And guess what? They couldn't find anything. Folks, what a wonderful testimony. Imagine having every detail of your life put under a microscope. And no matter how hard somebody looks to try to find something, there's nothing that they can find. Integrity. Paul says that's how he lived his life. That's the kind of testimony he had among the Corinthians. Nothing crafty, nothing shameful, nothing deceitful. And he certainly had not in any way compromised The Word of God. Now look at what he says in verse 3 and 4. Does this mean that the gospel is never veiled? Doesn't mean that at all. It is veiled at times, right? But how is it veiled? Is it veiled because Paul has somehow or another adulterated the Word of God? And mishandled it? Is that, is that why it's veiled? No. Why is it veiled? Because of the law. They're blind. And how, and how is it that they're blind? They don't want to hear. And how is it that they don't want to hear? They're blind and deaf. But how? Satan. Because Satan. Satan has blinded their eyes and deafened their ears. He's put a veil over their eyes. So Paul's saying, yes, as he goes about in his ministry, the word might be veiled, but it's not veiled because he's adulterated it in any way. But if it's veiled to anybody, it's veiled because Satan has blinded them. What is he saying to us? Don't adulterate the word of God. As we go about being ambassadors for Christ, will the word of God be veiled among some of the people that we share the gospel with? Yes. But don't let it be veiled because you've adulterated it or compromised it in any way. If it's veiled... Let it be because Satan has blinded their eyes, not because we've done anything to compromise it. All of the descriptions that he gives from verse 2 down to verse 4 have to do with integrity. Persevering in ministry because we've received mercy and living lives of integrity. Now, the third word, focus. Look at verses 5 and 6. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
What's Paul saying there? Ministry's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. What are we? We're only servants. We're only servants. Remember the mother of James and John. You remember what the mother of James and John wanted? Put one of, one of my boys on your left and one on your right when you come into your kingdom. Careful what you wish for, right? And what's the problem with that? God doesn't share his glory with anybody. She was proud of her boys. She wanted it to be a little bit about them too, right? Let one of them occupy your right, one of them occupy your left. Paul says no. No. What we proclaim is not ourselves. Not ourselves. But Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Keep ministry about Jesus. Keep your focus on Him. You're not the focus. I'm not the focus. He's the subject of the gospel. Amen? The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's the subject of the gospel. He is the gospel. So keep the focus about Him. Remember what Paul asked the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 1? He said, was was Paul baptized for any of you? Was Paul crucified for any of you? How about Simon Peter? Was Simon Peter baptized for any of you or crucified for any of you? What's the answer? No. So he was telling the Corinthians all the way back in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. Same thing he's saying here. Jesus is to be the focus. Fourth word. Humility. Beginning there in verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. All the way down through verse 15, he's weaving together this thought of humility. Human weakness and humility. And how human weakness serves a divine purpose. We have this treasure in earthenware vessels. Now, folks, earthenware vessels were very popular in ancient times. The pottery vessels, the earthenware vessels out of clay. Uh, They would transport items in earthenware vessels. They would store items in earthenware vessels. Earthenware vessels were very, very common in the ancient world. Yeah, exactly. Dead Sea Scrolls that were discovered in clay pots. And there, there would always be a distinction between the vessel itself and the contents 
of the vessel. You with me? The treasure, the content of the vessel was the treasure. The, the vessel was just the pot that transported the treasure. Right? And he's saying that's how we are. We're just earthenware vessels. But what's the treasure? Jesus. We're just vessels. You know, God, think about how God has used human flesh, chiefly in the incarnation. Jesus came in the flesh, fully God, fully man. The hypostatic union, fully God, fully man. Two natures in one essence. But now also, the gospel continues in servants of Christ in human flesh. We're earthenware vessels with the treasure in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. God chooses us. Think about it, folks. When when God gave the great commission, did he choose angels? Are y'all awake tonight? Did he choose angels? No. Who did he choose? Us. Earthenware vessels. There's a point in all of this. Because those to whom we go to with the gospel can identify with us. Why? Because they too are earthenware vessels. Right? Christians can look at their weaknesses and on the one hand they could be discouraged that they're weak. A classic example would be Moses. Lord, who am I? I can't speak. But we need to understand that God uses our human weakness. God uses the human weakness. God uses us as earthenware vessels. Yes, we're cracked pots. But God uses cracked pots. And Paul's going to talk about that too. But that's who we are. God's not looking for superstars. You know, the world does. For some reason, I, I, I don't understand this, but, but for some reason, people want to buy all of the, the magazines that tell all the personal business of movie stars and superstars. I, I really don't care about those folks, do you? These, these people who want to buy these magazines and, and find they're obsessed by every little detail of a star's life. I want to say to people, get a life. Who cares about, you know. But they want to wear haircuts that the stars wear. They want to eat the food that the stars are eating. They want to, they want to wear the clothes that stars are wearing. But God's not interested in that. He's looking for ordinary people to be faithful. Why? Well, look at what he says in verse 7. 
Why does does God choose earthenware vessels? What's verse 7 say? Amen. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Paul goes on to describe some of what comes with being an earthenware vessel. Affliction. He talks about being afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. He's talking about the experience of being an earthenware vessel and what you and I will experience as such. Human weakness doesn't disqualify us. Sin can disqualify you? Yes. But just human weakness in and of itself, will that disqualify you? No. God uses human weakness. We're earthenware vessels. God's chosen it this way so that the power and the glory will be seen as being in Him. Our weaknesses glorify God. And people can see the power of God at work in and through us. You say, how? Well, here's here's a widow, for example, who testifies about how God sustains her in the midst of her loneliness. Or here's a cancer patient who testifies about the peace of God and the comfort of God as they're going through their illness. Right? In all of those examples, we see earthenware vessels, human beings, human beings experiencing trials, experiencing heartaches, experiencing difficulties, but the power of God being seen through us. And what does that do for others? It gives them hope. It gives them hope. So again, God's not, he's not choosing superstars, ordinary men and women. You're an earthenware vessel so that the treasure, the gospel in you, is, is seen in the earthenware vessel so that you don't get the attention, I don't get the attention, but the glory goes to him. And Paul's saying that means that you and I need to remain very, very humble. Very humble. We need to persevere. What else do we need to do? We need to persevere. We need to live lives of integrity. We need to maintain our focus. And we need to have humility. But one more thing that he adds to this. Perspective. Look at verse 16 to 18. He says, so we do not lose heart. 
Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal. We're to have the right perspective about the flesh. One of the early church fathers, Chrysostom, said men are nailed to the things of this life. That's the problem, isn't it? We tend to be nailed to the things of this life. We are riveted to this world. But the Bible says here that we're to have a new perspective, a new attitude. We're not to focus on the flesh. Focusing on the flesh is not the goal of life. If you focus on the flesh, what are you going to notice? You're going to despair over the weakness of the flesh. What's Paul say about that here? He says our outer self is doing what? It's wasting away. It's decaying. It's perishing. Can you relate to that, any of you? Can you tell now that you're not able to do things at this stage in your life that you were able to do 30 years ago? Anybody? How about a year ago? Okay. (laughs) It's sort of like the man who went to see his doctor and he said, Doc, I got a problem. I can't remember anything. Can't remember where I put my watch. Can't remember where I put my glasses. Can't remember where I put my teeth. Can't remember where I'm supposed to be going. The doctor said, so how, how long have you had this problem? Problem? Huh? I, I got a problem? You're saying I got a problem? <laughs> Our bodies are decaying. Everything about us in the flesh is a reminder to us that life is but a vapor. We're not made for time but for eternity. If we focus on the outer man who is decaying, we'll grow discouraged. Paul says though that the outer man, while the outer man is decaying, yet the inner man is being what? Renewed. So just think of it. If you're a Christian, every day, every month, every year, you're aging in the flesh. You're getting weaker. But at the same time, if you're growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, you're growing in intimacy with God. In the flesh, you're decaying. But in your spirit, you're growing. You're advancing. You know, I love to hear some of our senior saints uh, talk about their hope of heaven. You're, you're closer than you've ever been. You've got more on the other side now than you have on this side. Right? Why does it take us so long to figure that out, though? Don't lose heart over the fact that your life is marching on. Yes, The outer man is decaying, but the inner man 
is being renewed. Amen. Well said. Well said. <clears throat> We're to have a new perspective when it comes to this life and these bodies. We're to have the right perspective about trials. He says in verse 17, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. He says light momentary affliction. Do you have any hardships in life? Sure you do. Just fill in the blank. Now notice what Paul says about them. They're light and they're momentary. I think if you walked up to Job after he lost all of his children, lost all of his health, and you said, Job, keep your chin up, brother. This is nothing. This is light. He might have been tempted to punch you in the nose, right? So why would Paul call it light? I think when you look at it up against eternity. What's Romans 8.18 say? Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. No trial on earth can be compared with the glory that we're going to see in heaven one day. That makes things of this world light in comparison, right? Because the Bible is saying that future glory doesn't equal present trouble as though it's a lateral move. It's equal? No. He says future glory far outweighs anything bad we experience right now. It's not an equals, you know, that the amount of affliction you have now, God, the glory to come just, you know, can't, just barely cancels that out. No, the future glory far outweighs anything you go through bad now. And then he calls it momentary. Your present troubles too are momentary. Why? Because they're only going to last for a short time. Amen? They're only going to last for a short time. The troubles you and I go through on this earth are not forever. They're momentary. Don't focus on the earthly. If you focus on the earthly, you're going to prioritize the wrong things. Have the right perspective. I'm reminded of the story of a businessman who was permitted to have one wish come true. He wished for a newspaper dated two years into the future. Instantly, the paper was put into his hands. He turned to the stock reports and made notes on stocks that had grown steadily. Because he was thinking to himself, Aha, 
Knowing this, now I know what I can invest in to become a rich man. But then he turned the page and guess what he saw? The obituaries. And there was his name in his picture. He wasn't going to live long enough to enjoy any of it. Have the right perspective. That's what Paul is saying. Have the right perspective. Don't look at the things that are sane, but look at the things that are unsane. For the things that are sane are transient, but the things that are unsane are eternal. Don't you feel sorry for men and women in the world that only have eyes for this world? That's all they can see, the things of this world. They have no eyes for the unseen. They have have no eyes for the eternal. That's tragic, isn't it? Paul's saying here, don't don't just look at the things that are seen. Look at the things that are unseen and prioritize your life accordingly. Have the right perspective. Have the right perspective. So again, what are the words? Perseverance. God has saved you by His grace. He didn't have to. God wasn't obligated to save you or me. You're a recipient of God's grace. And being saved by His grace, He's given you a ministry. A ministry carried out in a fallen world. So will you have trouble? Yes, you'll have trouble. Persevere, though. Live with integrity. Nothing shameful in your life and not handling the Word of God shamefully either. Have the right focus. Live with humility. You're an earth, you're a cracked pot. That's all you are. And have the right perspective. Prioritize your life accordingly is that how you're living your life don't be like the rich ruler who said I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger and better ones and say to myself soul you've got it made eat drink and be merry and God said to him you fool this very night your soul shall be required of you Live for Christ. Live for Christ in a fallen world. Be about His business. Share His word. And keep your head in the midst of a fallen world that's filled with trials and tribulations. Don't lose your head. Keep the right focus. Amen? And whatever trials you do have, whatever hardships you do have, guess what? God's got a purpose even in that. To show you His glory in the midst of it all. And that too is a message of hope you can share with others.